Welcome back to the Engineering YouTube and podcast. It's Friday night, so that means I'm recording a podcast episode, or in this case, an intro to the podcast. Um, and this one is a, a sort of pre pre intro to the main feature, which is part two of So You Want to Work in Formula One or Want to Work in F1. Uh, that picks up a story with Nathan. Um, really takes us from his from sort of leaving. Uh, radical sports cars, radical motorsport, and joining Alpine Formula One. Um, so you get if you haven't watched or listened because they're both there's both available. You can actually watch it on YouTube or you can just listen to the audio um, on any podcast platform. Um, and that takes us from kind of him being a kid, and you know, again with all of these uh, tech talks or any kind of discussion or intro uh, conversation I have with anybody. I always like to start with how somebody found their way into cars because I think that gives you a really good insight into what motivates somebody. So Nathan's no different. We start talking about what got him into it, what what did he love, um, how how his journey took place, and what got him to radical. And essentially, we left part one with him saying he's really happy at radical, uh, and that didn't change. So. Um, but he obviously chose to leave, and and it's uh, the part two explains why he chose to leave, um, what his experience has been like so far. So it's it's not been that long. The episode isn't that long uh, because it's only his first few months in the role, but it gives you a really good insight. And we will pick it up again. We'll come back to that story. Uh, we'll come back to Nathan in in time when he's had a few years to settle in. But that kind of brokers the point into part three, and part three um, is with a guy called Darren. Darren's worked in formula motorsport for decades now he probably won't like me saying decades because that'll make him feel old but that's the reality um part three was supposed to be shot uh over christmas uh, but christmas was a particularly busy time and he was traveling as well so still haven't shot that but we're getting close i'm sure and i'll keep nagging him and we'll get that wrapped up um the other thing i wanted to get into as well is is, is a bit of reflection for me and why i've dipped in and out of formula one over the years um, I, I I like Formula One. I, I I'm not the obsessive Formula One fan. Um, I think, and I was trying to reflect on why, and and this comes down to uh, noise. Effectively, it sounds such a silly reason to not that be interested in a, in a motorsport. Um, reflect back on eighties and nineties. Oh man, the, you know, rallying, whether it was rallying and you get the like super pops and bangs, anti-lag going off all over the place, um, special stages, it just was so exciting. Formula One was the same, you know, 80s and 90s, you had the, you know, iconic figures, sort of the end of um, kind of that 60s, 70s era into the 80s, um, you know, Senna and Prost, the, you know, the rivalries there, um, Damon Hill, Formula One champion in 97 i think it was uh, but that kind of whole period if you think back to reflect back on the the sound of those cars it just was there's nothing modern for me that kind of gets that and that ear piercing shrill as it goes past you i want that back um and it's part of the reason why um i've still got my 981 cayman with a design tech exhaust going through a tunnel I mean, I'll try and record it properly. But it is just fantastic, and it, you know, it, and it always gets the hair standing up on the back of my neck. So that's probably why I'm in and out of Formula One here and there. Um, I like some of the characters. There's no one in Formula One racing at the moment, really, that I 
massively connect with um and i think it's possibly part of it as well i'm not a massive lewis fan i think the last world champion i like alonso actually i've always reckon you know respected alonso and seb's a cool guy but probably jensen button was the last world champion that i you know was a huge fan of um but you know what? Having friends that work in Formula One, I, I will absolutely take more of an interest and, and kind of follow it primarily really to see um, what their journey looks like. And maybe that'll dip my toe. I haven't even watched Drive to Survive. That gives you a, a much of an idea. As, and I know, you know, every time I say that to somebody, they're gobsmacked and say, that'll change it all for you. You need to go watch Drive, Drive to Survive and, you know, maybe I'll they sort of kick me into it. Um, what else have we got to talk about quickly through this sort of intro and the, this waffle part, really? Um, just a reminder that I'm off to see Frank Cassidy on the 24th. I put a story up asking for if you've got any questions that you want me to ask Frank Cassidy, owner of uh, Boxing Gas um, and collector, avid collector of Porsche. So if you've got any cl- um, questions you want me to ask him, shoot those over as a DM uh, at Rengineering UK on Instagram. Or engineering on Facebook. You can get me on both of those. So what else has been popping up this week? Spy shots of the Boxster RS. That sort of, there's some of those have surfaced. Uh, black car. It looks like it was at the ring doing some testing. No huge surprise there. Um, I mean, look, all of those sort of pre-production cars that are in test, they're caked in duct tape and they're caked in bits of plastic here and there and odd wheels and... So you can't really get a definitive look at what the car looks like, but I think it's probably fair to say it'll look like a Cayman RS with the roof off. Um, so I'm expecting it to be fairly aggressive, but it'd be interesting to see what they do in terms of a wing. Clearly they can't have the swan neck, so... Or maybe they can, who knows? Anyway, so I've seen those this week, and yeah, jury's out still. Um, but it's interesting to follow that and see what happens with the Boxster. Uh, what else has been going on? Oh yeah, so... Bista Scramble, I mean, it's no secret now that I absolutely adore Bista Scramble. Um, they've got a sort of super scramble. It's called Flywheel. There was one last year. That's going to be a two-day event at Bista, and that's in June, I think. So uh, tickets go on sale next week, I think. So I will try and get tickets for that. Um, having said that, though, it's also my wife's birthday. I will be in the doghouse if I go to Bista and I don't do anything for her birthday. But hey, let's, let's well, I just have to tactically work out whether it's worth the grief. I'll let you know. So we'll probably wrap up on, um, I've literally just been chilling out in the evening watching um, Harry Metcalf and Harry put something up about, um, dropped a video on synthetic fuel. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's uh Last week's episode, last week's podcast, Mick and I were driving to the Collecting Cars at Silverstone event um, and we got talking about this because Sam from Seeing Through Glass and Tony from Gravelwood had both been talking about um, EVs and the, the kind of the rate that EVs are progressing or not. Um, Tony had a, a sort of small amount of time to drive one around and try to live with it as if it was his own car. Um, and they sort of came to the conclusion that yeah, the, the, you know, EVs aren't running at the rate that they, um, they're not kind of progressing at a quick enough rate. Um, and they argued that synthetic fuel is the way forward. And I agree with that, but I also don't agree with the fact that um, EVs, battery tech, is going to take as long as they think. 
I think, and I'll, I'll stick by this again because from watching Harry talk about it, and and he was it's weird because he was the, the sort of similar mindset. I don't think he's. I don't think either of these guys, any of these people, are thinking about how the rate of change happens in technology and how quickly think once things get to market if there's a demand for it the effort that will go into making that viable as a as a an actual usable utility or as a usable product it will scale dramatically it just needs the investment so harry was talking about the fact that he can have a synthetic fuel on his farm and fuel up from there and pretty much use that as his fuel station, right? So rather than driving out to fuel up, he'd drive out uh, fuel up at home. Um, and that it pretty much solves most problems for him. He gets to fuel his fleet and it's as ethical and as sustainable as 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 actually possible right now. Um and I and I commend him massively. I'm I wrote an article for the company I work for this week on um climate change and uh, my history with climate change and uh, the fact I was a, effectively a climate denier in the 2000s and now part of my degree has been on environmental management so I've been on a journey with this stuff as well I'm still on that journey um, but I think yeah the, the sort of get to the point is it's not about now and it's not about what you think will happen it's about how much investment goes into this and how quickly um, machine learning is and AI is and crunching numbers, this stuff is gonna, is happening at, at, at an ever-increasing rate. There will be a point where it plateaus, but we're not there yet. So they think it's going to be decades in the future that the synthetic, or Harry thinks synthetic fuel is going to take a decade or two to be able to get to the point where it's affordable. And he sort of came back around at the fact that it's like two-thirds more expensive to run a synthetic fuel for him over a you know a standard sort of super unleaded if it's by the pump which of course there's no way any you know if you if you try to get the general public to spend two-thirds amount more money in a in a basically we're sort of heading into a deep recession the likelihood of anybody i mean you might get a few very wealthy people that can afford to do it that they won't mind but it's not going to land is it so the critical bit is to try and drive the price right down for it to be available as a viable opportunity for other people, the normal general public, to make a selection over a synthetic fuel, over a, a standard um, fossil fuel. That's what people need to be driving towards. And that's what that's what we need to be working on and making sure happens. At the same time, investing in battery technology, in the um, infrastructure to try and allow for both to take place so inner cities clean zones clean areas where you don't want any um, emissions at all for for social well-being and health yeah totally the right thing to do with limited you know the range doesn't matter so much then just make the infrastructure really good that you can charge up all over the place and it's next to it's cost effective for the rest of the world and for aviation synthetic fuel all the way let's get that happening um I can get on my hobby horse about all this stuff and I think it's probably worth me doing an episode um, just on this and, you know, sharing my thoughts in kind of more detail because I'm kind of going over the top of it and giving a high-level thought about where I am, but I've given this a bit of thought. So anyway, anyway, anyway you don't necessarily want to hear this. You, If you've looked at the topic and you've dived right in, there's a good chance you've given up already or skipped forwards two or three minutes or however, how long has it been now? Let me look at the clock. 13 minutes. So I've done a standard waffle episode. 
um, you want to get to the bit about Formula One. So at this point, I will uh, take a break and then we'll come straight back with uh, Nathan from Alpine Formula One. Take care. Welcome back to the channel. Welcome back to Reengineering, uh, the YouTube and podcast. Um, welcome back, Nathan. Thank you so much for coming back. No it's been a year. Is it, I think it's pretty it's much been a year, isn't it? Yeah. Since we did the first one of these. Um, if you haven't watched the first one of these, uh, go and do that now because it's kind of the setting up of this second episode. And there's a three part series for this. Um, and the first one talks about how Nathan got into motorsport um, and his journey through kind of the initial stages of learning and development and then into kind of a, a full on full time job um, supporting Radical. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, things have happened since last year. Yeah. We, I think at the end of the concert, I rewatched a bit of the last episode. Um, and as we wrapped up, I think I asked the question, what's next? And yeah. did you want to go into Formula One? And at the time, the answer was, oh, I'm pretty happy at Radical. You know, I think I don't see any need to kind of push yeah. right now. And so give me, give me the out the, so a year ago to kind of a bit of a sequence of events because something happened that you went right yeah so a year ago I was happy and I could have carried on doing what I was doing and I think I'd almost put off because I was enjoying what I was doing and I felt like I had too much to lose by leaving I was sort of putting off the mm. urge to go and do F1 uh, and then I think it was sort of quarter away through the year I'd uh Call from a friend who I knew that worked at Alpine at the time um, on the test team, and he let me know that there was a couple of guys leaving, leaving, mm. um, and to send my CV in just to. Were those guys that were leaving moving on to other teams in Formula One, or were they? Uh, no, they were they were moving out of Formula One. So okay, there were, I think one of them at least, maybe the other one as well, but one of them had worked in Formula One previously mm. on the on the race team, sort of moved into it to try and get a bit of time back because it wasn't as there wasn't as much time away so he moved um, away to get a bit more that home life let's say back mm. um, so yeah not 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 uh, not back into F1 so yeah he he gave me a shout told me to send my CV in um, sent my CV uh, and then a couple of weeks or a couple of days later they gave me a shout to come for an interview what uh, was the interview was it it was actually on Zoom because oh, I was um, I was keen to get it done quick because um, I was away with work at the time, mm. so I didn't want to wait. And I'd, I'd I'd have liked to come back and go to the factory and have a look around and stuff like that, but I just sort of thought the sooner the better. And mm -hmm. so yeah, we had a chat on Zoom. I think I got up at like three in the morning in America to meet them at what was the morning back in the UK. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it went well. They seemed like nice guys and. Uh, what was the interview like? Was it intense? Was there a lot of techie stuff? Was it a I was conversation? Because I, I, I think in my head, I've got this like, you know, there's going to be a panel of senior engineers that are going to fire technical questions at you. Yeah, I thought it'd be more of a grilling, I'll be honest. Yeah. But it was just a general chat about what I'd done before, what right. sort of getting to know what the role was, and uh -huh. obviously for them, like, seeing whether I'd be suited to the role they were offering. So mm. it felt more like sort of this, really. It was just a general chat with two or three like-minded people yeah and that was it and so it was quite yeah it was quite a pleasant experience to be honest yeah which is nice which is not what i had in mind but no nice no and, and i think uh, there was a linkedin post that uh, the, the colleague of mine at work posted up about um getting the best from a potential candidate and the debate was 
Well, the bit that I found difficult is that you've got to be trying to be consistent with all the people that apply for a job. You can't kind of have it all loose because if you do that, you're not going to be in a position where you can objectively measure one person against another. So you've got to try and find that balance between being able to measure how good somebody is against how weak somebody is, or if there's two people that are really close, you can, that's even more important, but also getting the best from a person. For me personally, if you interview me and it's just like a barrage of questions, it's really hard to be your natural self yeah. in the moment, answering the questions as you, as you are naturally, but also aware of the fact you've got to answer them and hit points because you know you're going to score points off that stuff. For me, without question, the best way to get me is talk openly, having a natural conversation. Yeah. So the fact that you went through that experience and had something similar. Because you're not going to get that person, you're not going to be that same person when, when you're in the job, are you? No. You're going to be your normal self in the yeah, job. So. Yeah, yeah. And even more so that if you don't know something, it's more important that you kind of go, that's a bit out of my comfort zone. Um, do you mind walking me through it? Rather yeah. than, so it, it's a bit, I get the need to, to kind of test people, but I think there's a part and it could be an, like an assessment of some skill set and also, or even trial period, see how somebody settles in. Yeah. Was there any of that trial period? Yeah, so there was, there was a six month probation period. Okay. So that, that was in November now, I think. When that, Did that wrapped? That's done, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I think they do that with everyone, to be honest, because it is, depending on what you, I think the only way you'd go in and be absolutely fine is if you worked in F1 before. Yeah. It is so different, like there's so many, like the different specs of everything, different, there's so much to get your head around compared mm. to a normal car. And most other cars you can just turn on, flick a switch and start out, where it's, it's right. really not. You've got your laptop out. Really laptop, laptop, yeah, yeah. yeah, so there is a lot more to it. So talk me to, I mean, this is the, I think we're gonna get into the stuff that, that it's, it's interesting for me hearing about the journey, but I think, you know, again, you guys tell me if, if, what, what you wanna hear and what, you, what sort of questions you'd wanna ask, because I can always check in with Nathan again at some point in the future, but, what? How is it different? Explain. Like you're a you're a formula. You got a Formula One car in front of you for, for the first time. There's there's lights and everyone's wearing gear. That's yeah. all kind of very pro. How does that feel? And what? And how do you take on that kind of initial few days yeah, where it's got laptops everywhere and you got like tire heaters on everything? And yeah, know. it wasn't the trackside stuff. Wasn't too much different. I think it's just the complexity of the cars, just how they are. They're just comparing it to. A, Formula 3 car, there is, everything does the same job, but it's like little little differences, different materials, it's everything to make it that tiny bit better, mm. that you look at something, and some of the things you look at, you're like, I'm not sure what that right. does, like they're just so different to another car, or any other car that you're used to. So I think that was it, the actual, how much is packed into a small area, mm. like the tools you need, on a say an F3 car or a radical, yeah. they need to be half the size to work on a one car because you can't oh, fit them right. anywhere. Right, yeah, so yeah. I wouldn't even consider that. Yeah, no, I don't think about it at all. And I got there and I'm like, half my tools are useless because they can't fit in that gap. And wow. So, do they supply, I guess, in their supplying tools at that point? No, no. You still got supplying yeah, tools? Which I kind of like because it's more, like, it's quite personal then. Yeah, and, yeah. And you can build up if you want specific types because there's so, like, so many different variants of tools nowadays, mm. isn't there? So, mm. so, yeah, I think. The main thing... I better snap on guys, like, this is great! <laughs> yeah, it definitely is, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just say, the initial, like on my first, I think my first day was putting the rear suspension back in of one of the 2012 cars, because we run mm. those for like demo events. Mm. And which, now I look at and go, that's lovely, it's, it's nice and simple, because I'm used to it. But, mm. but on the day I was looking at the drawing, 
because it was all stripped at the time. Right. So we were just given a box of bits, gearbox, put that back in there, and you look at the drawer and you're like, oh. Right, okay. This, this could be a bit of a challenge, but. Did you have a lead engineer with you at that point? Didn't you? Uh, not really, no. So they sort of, so they have, the way they split it up is they have a front front end mechanic or on the test team, so yeah. the race team is a bit different, but they have a front, front end mechanic, rear end mechanic, number one, which is myself, and then a chief mechanic. Yeah. But the chief mechanic's kind of more like logistics and making sure everything's teed up for, he's not too much on the car. Mm-hmm. So it's mainly just us three, number one, and the front and rear that actually work on the car. Right. So it's mainly just, um, and the, the front and rear were both pretty new at the time. Mm-hmm. So two of them, uh, so the rear ender and me had the same start date. So we were at the uh, both okay. similar level. And the front ender had only been doing it for a few months prior to that. So, right. I mean, you pick up a lot in those first few months. Yeah, so. These, I mean, yes, I get you guys are new into it, but you've all got experience, right? They're not taking anybody off the street. At this no, no, no. Yeah, so you, like you know how to use tools and you know what all the systems do and you, sure. you understand how a car works, but it's just not knowing that car, which yeah. even if you say you went up to a McLaren or a or, or say if you've never seen a radical before and you went up to that, it'd take you a few days to mm. get on it and learn. Like if you take bits off, you'd probably have to like, look at pictures or whatever until you spent a good amount of time with any car. I mm. think. Um, yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to learn. So, mm. so yeah, just the you spanner checking each other's work or you kind of you don't point? really do much. That was one thing that surprised me that you sort of as a drawing for everything, which is one of the differences between. F1 and any other place I've worked, there is mm. literally, you search part number, you get the drawing for it, which is lovely. Right. And you tend to, you build it to that drawing. So, you, so every nut and bolt gets talked to whatever mm-hmm. is the talk, whether it's Loctite or Grease or that's all on the drawing. So mm. if you build it to the drawing, you can't really get it wrong. And if, mm. and if it is built to the drawing, it will run and run until the yeah. next time you look at it. So that is a nice thing. Everything's very, very, nice in terms the of the details yeah like yeah if you build it to that book you want it's to touch it yeah so which is nice because you don't really get that with other cars not like the level of detail in the drawings anyway mm. so yeah so that 2012 car which is like a yeah like it's a demo display that sort of stuff um have you worked on other iterations over the last few months or is it just tempting in that one car that you've kind of worked on? Uh, so we've got two of the 2012s that we do for like customer days or uh, like demos, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And then we do the young driver testing with the 21 car. So last okay. year's, or only just last year's car now. But um, so we run that. So that's a V6 hybrid obviously. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a lot more. Like makes the V8 seem like road cars compared to the 21 yeah, car, yeah, so yeah. they're a lot more high maintenance. In terms of actually thinking about it as well, you've got some HP involved in that yeah. sort of thing, so you got to then, you have to go and do more training on uh, Yeah, that's what they do, stuff. and then the guys from the engine, uh, we have guys from Viri from the engine manufacturer who come over, there's probably five or six of them I'd say. Right. You come over, they look after all the engines, they help us put the batteries in and stuff like that. So it's a big, it's a big operation, yeah. Um, so that's the 2021 big young drivers or early drivers, early careers guys that come in and they're, wait, is there somebody there watching the test and just like, okay, he's got time, that might be some yeah. more. But yeah, so we've got reserve or something like that. what we call academy drivers in F3, F2, 
I'm not sure about F4, but there's basically guys that will come into the factory, they'll train in the gym, mm. we'll give them all they need to through the junior career, keep an eye on them, and then eventually when they're ready, um, put them in the F1 car to test. So like the back end of last year, the last event was in Bahrain with Oli Caldwell, who does F2. Oh yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, just two days of testing out with Oli in Bahrain. So it's it's fascinating when you think about drivers and engineers from way back the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s. There's lots of pairings of, a, of a, an engineer and a driver. But do you guys get to know the drivers particularly well, or are they kind of hustled off and do? Because I can't imagine it's the same, quite the same as it was back in the day, where you have know, a guy with a clipboard that kind of he's he's working with that yeah. same driver constantly. What how, is that? I think engineers, I think more so because mm. they deal with those. So that's the the most common person you deal with as a driver is the engineer. So I think mm. naturally you build a bit of a relationship there, but. Mechanics, you still spend a fair amount of time with them, but mm. it's not on the same, like you don't have that same working relationship, but I think you still, like, you still get to know and they come over and have a chat with you and stuff like that. But I think it's the classic is the engineer driver relationship is always yeah. a close one. Just because the amount of time they spend, like they get out of the car, they go and speak to the engineer. Mm. Mm. And even when they're out in the car, they're still on the radio to the engineer. So it's, yeah. it's, I think that is the reason you get such a closeness there. But yeah, the mechanics still, still well involved. Just not on that level, though, yeah. not on that same level. Uh, yeah. Amazing. So that's the 2012 car, the 21 car, two totally different variations. Yes. Anything else that you worked on? Uh, no. Just those? Just those two for now, yeah. Um, I mean, it's only been a few months, right? So Yeah, seven, seven eight months, I think. Yeah, so. And how much travel has been involved at that point so far then in that? To be honest, the travel has not really been, because I did quite a lot with Radical, mm. it's almost, that's felt quite natural in terms of the amount of going on. It's probably less so, I'd it? say, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think less distance as well. So I did a lot in America before, whereas yeah. now mainly it's Europe. Right. Okay. We did do the Bahrain test at the back end of the year. And I think before I started, I went to Kota. So there is still a bit of overseas stuff, but the majority of it is Europe, which, mm. yeah, I guess is nice because it's it like, doesn't take eight hours to get there and you yeah, know, yeah, true. feel like trash when you get there, which is another good thing. But so, yeah, less distance, but I say an, an equal amount of travel, mm. to be honest. So. Mm. Which you're is getting to know you're getting to know these like cities and stuff now because you're going to the same places repeatedly, I guess, rather than uh, mainly, yeah. So you and the nice part is we we travel two days before, so like there's two set up days before we run the car. So yeah. Typically, we'll travel two or three days before the car runs. So you'll get like the first couple of setup days, you tend to get an alright finish. So you can mm. you can go and explore whatever city you're in or mm. wherever you are, even if it's you not. You do a 5k in your case and yeah. <laughs> show what you're yeah. for 5k. Yeah, so yeah. you do get a bit of time. The, the running days are a bit different there. They tend to be a bit more uh, full on, but. So give me an example of, okay, you've got a running day, right? So um, talk me through a day. Get up at what time, what time are you up at that? Uh, so typical leave time is between six and half six hotel, I'd say. So you get to track for a, quarter seven-ish, mm -hmm. seven. At breakfast, put the, all the car heaters need to be on. Mm -hmm. So you put the heaters on, you're going to have breakfast. Uh, come back, you'll, the, uh, the rear suspension on the 21 cars is active, so you need to set up every morning. Really? Um, so the pressures for those are dependent for the temperature, because if it's a bit hotter, the pressures need to be adjusted for that. Right, right. Um, you'll then do your first fire up, and typically that's about so if you're on track at nine, that needs to be at eight. So the, the sort of, you give it an hour 
from the first fire up to when you want to be on track and mm. then that's enough time to get everything done. Uh, so you do your f first fire up, you then set all the water pressures, um, you do like a stiffness check so you wind coolant into the system and if it takes too much of it it means there's air in the system. Okay. Um, so that's, you yeah, set both uh, water system pressures, there's obviously one for the battery and one for the engine itself. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, do all the systems checks, so like shift check and clutch checks and things like that, everything that they need to do. Um, and then just body work on, really. So, and it sounds like an easy job, but there's so many fixings involved in just yeah, putting yeah, the side yeah. pods and then you cover on his. And I'm guessing they're, job, are they, so. um, what sort of fixings are they? Because I can't imagine they're, they're they must have um, ducts or Zeus fasteners, that sort of stuff. Uh, so, they, yeah, that's, they use, um, like Radicals use their most. The lower formers use them, but F1 they use like aerospace right. uh, fixings, so like NAS screws and okay. stuff like that. So, yeah, those you don't see outside, or I've not seen those outside of outside of F1, mm. um, presumably because of cost. But yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, after that, after the fire on, body works on, you get back on low stands, ready to go out, ready, and then just wait for the call for tyres and and then leave the garage. So. Cool. Okay. So that gets you to the point where the driver's involved, they go out and do however many laps they're going to do. Uh, let's assume that they've wrapped up, they're like, okay, we're done. Talk me through the opposite end of the, the day then, so they're kind of point. Uh, so the evening, it depends on how much running you've done. So things like the clutch can only do two days. So if you've done two days in a row, mm -hmm. then you need to have the gearbox off to um, reach in the clutch. But other than that, it's not too bad, it's like the brakes come off every night to, to, uh, for a wear check. Mm -hmm. um, set down and set up, so you check the geometry of the car as it's come off the track. Yeah. You then do your prep and then you do a set up later in the night just to make sure it's still the same. Or if the set down's okay, you don't tend to do the set up, but sure. if the set down's obviously not right, you need to look for why or what's caused it to be not right and then reset it up later. Um, and that's, it's not, yeah, that's about it, I'd say, for, mm. for the track prep stuff, which, if nothing's gone wrong, it tends to be an okay-ish finish, like eight, nine o'clock at night, but okay. if there's a lot to I mean, it's a long day still, isn't it? Oh, it's still like a long 13, day. 13, 14 hours. That's pretty... Yeah, that's pretty standard. Yeah, stuff. I'd say from at the track for seven, away from it at eight, nine-ish is pretty... Yeah. Like, yeah, that's an okay day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then if you go into the next morning, that's not an okay day. Let's get there at 2 a.m. You're like, yeah. Which, which can happen. Happens, right? Yeah, yeah, it can happen, yeah. There's been a few of those, but. Can you give me an example? I mean, again, with all of this stuff, appreciate that there's some sensitive information. So if there's anything that we get into, just say, but um, can you give me an example of where it went a bit, uh, turned a bit sour and you only yeah, so 2 a.m.? I think it was, maybe hungry it was, but we had an issue with, one of the engine components, so mm -hmm. purely just the amount of time it takes to get it off and resolve the problem and get it back on, just took us into that really, depth time. of the evening. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But and that's because it had to be again ready up and built. Yeah, so it's running next day, so you get there until it's done. Yeah, yeah. That's, so if you want to be an engineer or a mechanic or working F1, suck it up, that's part of the job. <laughs> There's no point turning up and being like, it's five o'clock, I've got to go. Yeah. So, Which yeah. again helps if you enjoy the job because yes. like if you do I can't imagine not liking the job I'm doing because it would just be painful yeah yeah because like it's even like say a normal job you can have a, a, a day that drags but 
a day that drags being twice as long as a normal day is it's really going to drag. It's a tough so. one, yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's like some of the places we go, it's, it's hot, sweaty, the, mm. the day is quite physical as well, so. Yeah, if you think, yeah, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. So if you take Bahrain, for example, I mean, it's 45 degrees, whatever. It, it wasn't too far away though. I think it was, it cooled down a bit, but it was still, yeah, low to mid 30s, I'd say, which yeah. is. Which you're, when there's no which, air con. Yeah, you're out in the sun, it's, it's warm. Yeah. yeah, and you're running around a car. It's, yeah, it does look pretty warm, but so, yeah, it's, the, the running days at the track are definitely more physical than, mm. than back, at the, back, at the, back at the factory, it's, it's nice, you'll, you'll finish at normal time, most days, unless there's this is a specific like a short turnaround or, or any big jobs, you'll, you'll tend to finish at normal time, but the track, you sort of expect it anyway. Yeah, you're kind of gearing yourself up to go away. I mean, it's a yeah. similar sort of situation with the job I'm doing at the moment, this general day-to-day -day work, if it's a normal day, go away fully geared up for the fact that you might have a good day and you'll be done by seven, you might have a bad day and you'll be there like, I mean, not that long ago, I was sort of, we were out until 11, I think it was, 12 o'clock and it's just part of the job, right? It's just, yeah. you, you know, you know when you're in these jobs that there's level of importance that you need to appreciate and understand, get on board with before you even start the job because if you're, I mean, and about putting the hours in, probably it's just, yeah, it's not the right thing to do, is it? No, no. I think as being away as well, it helps that you're doing a long, you're doing a long day, but you go back to a hotel, so it's not like you're going home. Or it yeah, feels a bit more natural, I guess. And like you're there to do a job, so if it's if it's taking a bit of time, and like you just know that it needs to be done by the next morning, mm, so mm. you just you just crack on. And get yeah, I mean that's a good point actually, because whether you do it now or you do it at five a.m. and what you're going to be doing it right. Yeah. Whichever, it's it's just it doesn't the quickly get it done. The the quickly, to, yeah. Go back to sleep, so yeah, yeah. and it's, it's quite a buzz really in the evening. Like the car will finish on track, and then a bit of music on, and you get the get going in the prep, and mm. you do everything as fast as you can. Because part of what they want you to get in the habit of is where the race team now have a curfew, so they're not allowed to stay past the track at a certain time now. Are they not? No, um, okay, as part of this, trying to reduce the working hours, I think. Yeah, yeah, but what that has caused is like the work that they do do is like a million miles an hour and they need to get it done as quick as possible and mm. like don't waste a second so so they're gearing you up so like yeah they try and get the motivation yeah of like you need to work as if you're on a time constraint sort of thing mm. not work as if you need to get it done as quick as you can yeah, and, yeah. which is the work like you you come off the car comes off the track and you then tunnel vision on what you need to do right. each of you front rear and then i'm sort of in the middle yeah all at what we need to do and yeah get it done as quick as you can so it's yeah it's a bit of a buzz in the evening it's quite a good atmosphere in the garage yeah. when you're trying it's to get it done yeah ready for it yeah so what um so that's quite interesting it's a nice little segue into not what's next but the the progression for because from this sort of role you're in now to the race team um i'm guessing again like, please correct me if i'm wrong here but it seems like there'd be a natural feed like you sort of kind of get more experience, get, you know, someone's kind of keeping an eye on you going, that guy's epic, but he's totally primed. Let's get him moving into yeah. it. And if there's a spot that comes available on the race team, do you slide, do you have to apply for that? Do you slide into that role? I think they probably, so, a, say a spot came up, I think they'd, they'd just go to what our team's called as a race sport team. They'd yeah. just come to us and say, who's like, who would be the most fit in for that job? And mm. then they'd pick one of us that, 
would be so like if there's a hydraulics boost can come up for example yeah you've got the hydraulics mechanic from our team naturally he would just be the one to fill that gap and sure. then we'd have to find somebody find someone else and train them back up to the same spot so it does work quite well because i think it has taken away a lot of the need to interview a lot of people for the racing yeah just because there's always someone that knows the team knows all the processes mm. knows how the team works that can just and there's still some adaptions that you need to make but it's a it's a better starting point than someone who's either not worked in F1 or not worked in this team so, mm. uh, so I think it's a really good thing for it's used to train the drivers up but it's also used to train the crew up if that makes sense so yeah yeah it totally it's, makes yeah, sense. it's really good and it's away from there's still a bit of pressure because you're still running a, a car and there's still someone sat in it and yeah, there's still yeah, a lot that can go wrong but say say you miss so the run plan was to go out at nine o'clock and you're out at nine o five. It's not the end of the world on the yeah. test team. Whereas if that's qualifying, you've it's a big you're at a disadvantage. So yeah. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really good way of bringing drivers and staff up, I think. So. Are you going to races to actually, sort of, whether it's to watch or kind of just... Not yet, no. No, no I think that'll be, as and when a spot comes up, I think it'll be. Yeah. Um, so the race team is completely separate. Um, it's more of a like gratuity, like a kind of opportunity for you guys to just sort of be around that vibe and that present you know it all kicking off yeah. and I wasn't sure if they kind of give you like a bit of a I'm mean, sure you could but yeah yeah there hasn't been not so far there's, to be honest there's not been much of an opportunity to so far just because we've been so cause like our calendar's pretty pretty amazing. pretty yeah, yeah stacked out anyway so yeah you, you do well to find time to do much other stuff to be yeah. so yeah uh, yeah but yeah not yet not yet as I'm sure there's time mm. So then, it's not been that long, but have you got in your head what the future looks like? Because things have changed, right? They, they, this it was like sports cars, fantastic, love it. Yeah. Now you're in F one, right? Yeah. Whether it's whether it's the um, race support team or whether it's the full race team, whatever it is, you're in that environment. Now. Yeah. And, and and Darren, who we'll talk to you next, he's been doing it a long, long time. Um, he's moved around different teams. Um, now I'm not going to ask you about leaving Alpine. That'd be the wrong thing to do. But have you have you got in your head what now with things that have changed? Yeah, I think I can see like at least another year doing what I'm doing on this on the team that one now. Yeah, in yeah. terms of the race support team, just because I think there's so much. The amount I've learned in the last six months has been huge, but there's still I can I can still see areas that I can get better on, and mm. obviously as you do it more often, you get a better knowledge of the car and like communication skills because it's such a big team now that's something I had to adapt to quite a bit was because it was you and what two or three other people pretty much yeah. yeah like we'd go for a development test and there'd be me sometimes one other and mm. the driver so mm. you don't really all the communications are one-on-one -on -one, mm. whereas now there's like even just working on the car there's four of us that like, I need to communicate through so that's been a big a big thing like no one's a mind reader so if I yeah. so I'm so I'm doing my bit on the car, I know what I need to do, but the others might not be the same. So mm -hmm. you need to just communicate that to them because they don't know what's going on in my head. Yeah, yeah. So it's, that's been a, um, a big learning curve as well, like communicating with other people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, and the same is true in reverse, how people like to be communicated to, is, you know, yeah. everybody works slightly differently. And there might be, a, you know, I don't, again, some of this stuff I'm just guessing at, but it might be that teams have kind of different ways of communicating whether it's methods of communicating whether it's actually just you know the, 
the um, culture within the team is different depending on where they're based in the world or whether you know what the you know has and whether it's McLaren or what you know they might have completely different American versus UK might have completely different yeah. ways of communicating and the culture within the teams might be completely different yeah. I don't know I, I'm, again I'm not close enough to know but just in general like compared to before obviously everything's on radio now mm. so whereas before you you're shouting across the garage and well, it's probably not the most Throwing yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's probably not the most professional thing but now yeah. it's like everyone's got the headphones on it's nice and quiet everyone's calm but there's never any uh, like no one seems as if they're flapping or there's never any mm. flustered um, the way people happen is never in a flustered way so it's all like the course from the engineer are nice and calm which then stems across all the mechanics yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a really professional in the garage when we run it's a really professional outfit I think it's just nice calm everything still gets done quickly but it doesn't seem doesn't appear rushed I think yeah. that's the best way to describe it yeah. it's all like orchestrated nicely and all happens smoothly and then the dolly the garage so nice yeah it's a lot it's a lot more professional a lot calmer um yeah which i think it's just because like there's a man for everything in in formal one there's everyone has their role which quite likes it's quite regimented so mm -hmm. like the front end mechanic will only work on the front end the rear end will only stick to the rear end um so it's there's never it's hard but you never feel stretched you know what i mean whereas yeah. before yeah Someone's figured out how much, what areas should be sectioned off as, a, as yeah. an area to work that gets the best performance out of that mechanic, but also doesn't stretch them so they're trying to do too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's Always. I'm sure someone sat there and worked that out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So like previously I'd prep the car back at the workshop, look at the track, I'd be downloading the, the, the data. After that, I'd then work on the car to make sure it's all right. Mm. Whereas... I guess because it's due to time constraint that mm. that all needs to happen at the same time. So there's there yeah. is a person to work on the car, there is a person to look at the data. And I imagine that actually mimics or closely mimics the full race team. Yeah. So you, the, the first thing you'd want to do is have a jack of all trades so then you can't then move that person as you were saying before about if you've got someone hydraulics. If you've got somebody that's already done kind of hydraulics in a kind of that compacted area to pick them up and move them to a full race team probably would be a more simple move than if you had someone doing hydraulics, data, you know. Because um, yeah, you'd, you'd never be able to do that because they would still have a huge learning curve. Yeah, and it's like Jack all trades a master of nothing. You yeah, need to be, yeah. it, it helps to have a general knowledge of the whole car for sure. Like, it's not a bad thing, I think, which is, I think one thing that's helped me settle into this job is that I had a general overview of yes. all the systems and how a car works. I feel like I've got quite a good understanding of how a car works, mm. which did help because you look at some of the systems on the F1 car that you, you haven't seen before, you, but you can kind of empathise how they work because mm. you you know like the fundamentals of how the systems work. So mm. that definitely helps. But yeah, I, I agree that it's just getting into a habit of, I think that's a lot of it, of what it is, is getting in the habit of doing the same job over and over and over over and over again yeah and the tenth time you do it you're really really good at it pretty slick at yeah, that yeah. Point. so i yeah. think that's where they try and get people to and like that's what the racing needs to be because you can't have a minute wasted so. no seconds wasted yeah amazing but i think we probably I'd, what i'd like to do is um guys ask questions in the chat in the comments section whatever you want to know i mean some of the stuff if you ask questions that can't be answered of course that stuff's not be answered but if there are any things that we've missed, 
So yeah, chuck them in the comments and you know, check in with Nathan, we'll do a Q&A session or something. The best 10 or the best 15 or whatever it is, we'll kind of go through those and see whether we can answer them. Um, I'm going to leave there. It's, it's, it's been a little bit shorter than the first one, but at the same time, really good insight, I think, into what life is like, how that kind of has kind of gone from young lad to guy working in Formula One. And, yeah. and it's, it's amazing to get to know you better um, and to hear kind of about the journey and how down to earth you stayed. I think it would be really easy to be really, really egocentric working in Formula One, but yeah, when we talk, and it's nothing to do with this, it's working on a what 15 year old mx5 and cutting rust out of it yeah. like the guy is the same guy yeah whether it's working on a sports car whether it's working in formula one or working on an mx5 um so thank you very much nathan for right. coming along um yeah comments we'll do a q a um and then the next the third part of this is to talk to darren who's worked his whole career in formula one or formula two around the whole formula business anyway so he's going to give us the um the kind of point of your career where you're reflecting back on decades of work, um, all the things he's learned, all the things that he kind of, you know, any advice he'd give. Actually, one last question, actually. Have you got a golden nugget of advice? There's a guy that's sat there watching this that's going, it's got to be me, I've got to do this. What, what, is there one piece of advice, one golden rule that you could give somebody that said, do that more? Uh, I think don't be shy of, so for example, the job that I'm doing now, I'd probably, if I saw it advertised, I probably wouldn't have applied for it. Okay. And which now doing it, I feel totally comfortable mm. doing it. And it didn't take long for me to feel comfortable doing it. Mm. But before, I think particularly because it was Formula One, you, you put it on this pedestal of yeah. there's 10 people that are better than me, so yeah. they'll get it, so I bother kind of thing. Yeah. And you Whereas, just write yourself off before you yeah. even give yourself a chance. So I think don't be afraid of giving stuff a go, like what's the, what, what have you got to lose at the yeah. end of the day, which you you think about stuff a lot, say you're in a position, you're looking, you got, you you know, it's like you, you overthink and you think, oh, there's, there's going to be loads of people better than me and mm. I'm not, I haven't done this, so I'm not ready for it. Mm. Like I haven't had, for example, I didn't do the usual route of Formula 3, Formula 2 and then what, then jump up to F1, which I thought was the, the way to do the it, the perfect way. Yeah. yeah. But then on the other hand, I've probably done some things that I wouldn't have done if I did do that route. So you get a, like, I've probably got a more broader knowledge mm. of how a race car works than if I would, would have done that route. So yeah, uh, yeah don't, don't be afraid of um, like getting yourself out there and you, I think you're always in a better position than you think you are, if that makes sense. Yeah. You're always better off than you think you are. It's, it's easy to write yourself off or say you're not ready or but the best way and I've found it in the last six months the best way of learning is just to go and do it. Go and so, do it. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah. Brilliant. There you go. From a horse's mouth, don't write yourself off, just go and do it. Um, yeah, thank you again Nathan. Yeah, no worries. Well um, we'll pick it up again with a bit of a QA and wrap it up there. Yeah, sounds good. Excellent. Well I really, really hope you enjoyed that episode. It was a little shorter than the first one. The first one was, I think, nearly an hour. Um, but it, that was a lot more about his stories, how he got to where he was. And this was a sort of shorter intro into now he's in Formula One, um, you know, what his experiences are so far. But we will catch up with Nathan again. 
um, and we'll uh, find out more about his first couple of seasons um, as a supporting role as a mechanic. Um, if you've got any questions, though, as I said at the end of that, the end of that discussion, we talked about um, doing another a Q and A um, and ask me anything for somebody that works in Formula One, especially in the kind of mechanics side of things. So yeah, by all means, if you've got questions you want to ask. I'll probably work out when that's going to go out because it won't be for a little while if there's other episodes that are banked and ready to go but head over to App Engineering UK and when you see a story pop up or a post pop up that, that um, gives you a heads up this is going to happen this Q&A is going to happen um, I'll collect all the questions and then we'll do a um, Nathan and I'll sit down again and we'll go through that stuff we're talking about going to Podium Place actually and doing something there um, so I'll get in touch with the guys at Podium and, and um, yeah, maybe we can have a few people actually there asking some questions we'll see uh, for now though that's going to wrap us up for the week um, I shall be back next Friday um, or I'll record one of these next Friday and they typically get recorded on Friday edited on Saturday and go out at some point over the weekend um, and that's probably going to be the way it is for now um, thanks ever so much for your time your attention, your interaction those of you that got in touch and um, and thanked me for the for putting these out. I'm I'm. It's it's wonderful to hear from you. Um, I'm gonna give a quick shout out to Stone City Outlaw on on Instagram, who actually commented and sent me a message about an earlier uh, podcast episode that I did about well-being, and getting out and driving, and um, he shared a he shared a sort of a, a situation that was close to his heart. Um, that he was finding difficult but um, I actually found some comfort in listening to that um, if you haven't listened to that I, I would encourage it it's, it's, a, it's a good short burst of, of um, energy that might get you out and driving so which is what we should all be doing we're just trying to do it in an ethical way if you want to support the channel and support the podcast and help it grow you can do that you can do that over at patreon forward slash engineering um, and if you want to send any suggestions or you want to be a part of um, our Porsche stories, you can drop me a message over at Instagram. That's probably the best way to get hold of me for the moment anyway. Uh, and for now, though, I shall say goodbye. I hope you have a lovely week and I'll catch you up next week. Take care. Bye bye for now.